Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. If you're new, if you're visiting, my name's Luke. I am the other minister here at Hope Baptist Church. We're going to come around to the Word of God now. Um, so we will pray together. I haven't got a specific Bible reading this morning. I've got lots of different readings interwoven into what we're going to be talking about. But why don't we just uh, come to God now and let's pray, ask him to open our hearts and our ears to what he would have us here today. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you and praise you for this opportunity to gather here in this place. We do thank you for your words. We thank you that, Lord, when we read your words, Lord, you in turn read us, and it opens up a window to where we're at and are standing before you. So I pray, Father God, that as we begin to talk about the things we're going to talk about together today, Lord, above everything, we'll hear your voice. Have your way, King Jesus, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So last week, if you were here and you were with us, we kicked off our latest sermon series, Looking Together at the Subject of Worship. We've entitled this series, More Than a Song, because worship is exactly that, it is more than a song. And we talked about the fact that it's not just simply about singing, but it's about ascribing God the place of honour in our lives. Worship is also not merely about what happens here in this building on a Sunday morning, but what happens here in this building Sunday by Sunday should propel us to live lives of worship every day of the week. That's why it's important that we come together regularly. We make this a priority as a church to meet together, to worship together, to encourage one another, and to spur one another on to live the lives we're called to live. And with that in mind... If you were here last week, we talked about the fact that over these weeks, we're going to be talking together about four different postures of worship. Last week, we talked about the idea of lifting our hands in worship. We talked about the fact that it's an important posture when we come before God. And throughout Scripture, what we see is this exhortation to lift our hands in worship before God. And we talked about the fact that in doing so, what it does is it moves the Father heart of God. We talked about the fact that lifting our hands is an offering of praise, that it's a battle declaration, that it's a sign of victory and it's a sign of surrender. And today, I want to talk about the idea of bringing our gifts to God as an act of worship. Now, it's easy at this point to think to yourself, oh, here it is, we've been waiting for this sermon, here's Luke's periodic sermon on the subject of giving. Doesn't he know that we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis at the moment? The last thing that we should be talking about together is finance. But the premise of what we were talking about last week, when we were saying that despite how we might feel God is still worthy of our worship, applies not only to singing and to lifting of our hands, but it applies to every single area and every single aspect of worship. The Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. So this is not a message this morning to try to squeeze a little bit more money out of you. Though the Holy Spirit might compel you to give or to give more as a result of what he is saying to you. But we will never try to manipulate anyone into giving money here in this place. So here is my disclaimer for what I'm talking about today. If you can't give cheerfully, don't give. We don't want your money. We want you to do what God compels you to do, and we want you to be able to give cheerfully and generously if that is what God calls you to do. 
Last week, if you were here, you'll remember we started a little bit early, I must admit, by thinking about the story of the wise men in the account of the nativity in Scripture. And we talked about the fact that these wise men, when they came to worship Jesus, they came without any agenda. They came without any, this is what I want from the situation. They simply came to worship him. And I want to pick up on their story a little bit more at the beginning of this sermon today and delve a little bit more into them because what we see in the lives of these wise men is some really interesting and important aspects of the subject of worship. You will remember that these men followed a star. We'll talk about that a lot in December, no doubt. They went on this journey which was about 900 miles long. I said a couple of weeks ago that during my sabbatical, I did a 100-kilometer walk, which took me about four and a half days. This was an arduous, arduous, strenuous journey that these guys went on. And what we see in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, is this. After they had heard the king, that's Herod, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. These wise men have been on this incredible 900-mile journey. They must have been shattered from their journey. And what they found when they got to the place was the exact thing that they were searching for. And when they found the thing that they were searching for, their hearts were literally overjoyed. They were overcome with joy at finding the thing that they have been on the journey for. In fact, our English translation of the word joy doesn't really do it justice to their feelings here in this moment. And how did they express their emotions? Verse 11 of the same chapter. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they saw the one that they had came for, they bowed down. We're going to talk about what that means in a couple of weeks together. But what happens next is they worship him. How do they worship him? Well, it looks like generosity. You can have no doubt, I'm sure, where I'm going with this today, but it's been debated over the centuries what these gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus actually meant. And most scholars generally conclude that the gold, that symbolized Christ's kingship. The frankincense which was given symbolized his, his priestly role. And the myrrh, that symbolizes his death and his burial. But the point really this morning that I am trying to make is that they were so overcome with joy. The joy in their hearts led them to worship Jesus. And what did their worship look like? It looked like generosity. They brought their gifts as an act of worship. Why is this such an important part of our worship? Because the very simple fact is that when you love someone, you give. That's it, exactly what love does. Love gives. You can't help but be generous towards someone that you care deeply about. What's the most well-known verse in the entire Bible? John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because love 
gives. That's what it does. And God looked on creation and he saw that it had been separated from him because of our sin. And that the only way that actually that could be restored, that relationship could be mended, was by someone innocent coming and dying in the place of humanity. And what happens? God takes on flesh. He becomes human in the form of Jesus, the innocent one, the perfect one, who lived a life that you and I should have lived and ultimately died a death in our place that we deserve. Love gives. That's what love does, and that is who God is. And you know, we love God because he first loved us, and his love was manifested in the giving of Jesus. When you love someone, it's evident because generosity follows. And how did God demonstrate his love? He demonstrates it by giving. We can turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 together this morning, and we read this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for a second. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? Whilst we didn't deserve love, whilst we were far off from God, in fact, whilst we were his enemy, God loved us still so much that he gave. And he gave Jesus Christ that we might be set free. Now, like I said earlier, when we talk about these kind of things, some maybe are probably sitting here right now and you might be thinking, well, I do love God, but it's giving is hard for me. I feel the financial pressure. Or you might be thinking, I do love God, but I'm afraid to give because what happens if I don't have enough to support my family by giving and by living a generous life? So I'm a bit more reluctant to give. And I want to say to you this morning, I hear you. Finances for many people are incredibly tight right now. And with those kind of thoughts and those kind of feelings and those kind of emotions ringing in our ears, let's look at some other portions of Scripture which might help us to understand and gain a bigger perspective of why this is still important. I want to take you to another famous passage in Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3. And when we look at Proverbs chapter 3, the verse that most people go to immediately is verses 5 and 6, which says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. That's great advice right there, right there this morning. We could leave the sermon right there and go away with that advice ringing in our ears. We should be people who trust God and not lean on our own understanding, not look to the wisdom of the world, but lean on the Lord in every area of our life. But what I wanted to do this morning is to scroll down a little bit further and look at verse 9 together this morning, which says this. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. In the context of this entire chapter, God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on the world's wisdom for everything. But in the midst of it all, still learn to live a generous life. And what does that look like? It looks like honoring the Lord with our wealth. 
As we've said in the past, worship is about ascribing God the place of honor in our life, in every area of our life. So when Solomon tells us here to honor the Lord with our wealth, he is saying, worship the Lord with your possessions. Be generous. Don't hoard. Don't build up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Because when we do, and we make God above our possessions and above our wealth and above everything in our life, it says, God, I trust you with everything. And we learn to lean on a God who here says, when you trust me in everything, I will prove myself faithful to you. We can read these words in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room for you to store it. Malachi is saying that we are to give to the gods who calls us to put our trust in him. This is not a prosperity message. This is not a message which says when you give, you're going to be so blessed and you're going to go home, you're going to have a Ferrari and a lovely house and all of those sort of things. No, but God says, actually, when you put me above everything in your life, when you ascribe the place of honor to me in your life, you don't have to worry because I have your back. I will look after you and I will provide. You know, this is the only place in scripture where God says, test me. Test me in this. Test me and see if I am not faithful to my word. Test me and see that if you don't put me above everything in your life, that I will not provide for you. Why is giving then so important to our worship? Because firstly, giving helps us to obey God's commands. The Old Testament is full of instructions about giving. Who we should give to, how much we should give, what kind of things we should give, etc., 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 There's less in the New Testament when it comes to the subject of giving. But nevertheless, there are still clear instructions about giving in the New Testament too. But some Christians at times will use the lack of New Testament verses on giving to say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament subject. We're not under law anymore, but we're under grace. So we don't have to really worry about those sort of things. But Whilst that is completely true, we are not under law, but we are under grace. What we see from Scripture is that when Jesus came, he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And what actually happens when we see Jesus fulfilling the law is that in many respects, Jesus upgrades the law. So Jesus says in Scripture, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I'm telling you, if you look at someone with murderous intentions and murderous thoughts in your hearts, you have already committed murder in your hearts. Jesus said, do not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you look at someone with lustful eyes, you have committed adultery in your heart. Jesus came and he gave everything for us. So what else can we actually do but give everything back to him? Giving, therefore, submits ourselves to Christ's lordship in our life. You know, every act of obedience in life generally recognizes there is a higher authority in our life. And there are some areas, let's be honest, where we are quite happy to submit ourselves to God's authority in it. I am pretty sure, I don't want to hedge my bets, but I'm pretty sure there's no one here today who's thinking about leaving this place and going off and committing murder after the service. Because actually, 
for most of us, that's quite an easy thing to not do. We're not going to go out of this place and hurt someone or murder someone. But it becomes a little bit harder in some areas of our life. And let's be honest, we all have areas in our life where we find it more difficult to submit to the authority of God in our life. Because there is still part of our nature at times which desires independence. We like the idea, don't we, of making it on our own. And as a result of that idea, for many of us, finances are the last thing and the hardest area that we have where we choose to submit ourselves to God. Because we want to be in control of our futures. We don't want to find ourselves in a difficult situation or out of pocket. So we can find ourselves quite easily hoarding as a result of that. And in being generous with our finances, what we end up saying is, God, I know you've got my back. I know you have good plans for me. I know that you won't let my foot slip. So I am trusting you and submitting to you in this area of my life as well as every other area. With that in mind, giving makes us more like Christ. You are never more Christ-like than when you're being generous. You are never more Christ-like than when you are giving. And Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And when Jesus says these words, he's saying it in the context of a prisoner who is off to his execution, carrying his cross on his back. That's what the Romans used to do. If you were sentenced to death, you were made to carry your own cross to your execution. Now, they didn't do this because they were lazy or they couldn't find someone else to do it, the very reason that the Roman prisoner was made to carry his cross to his execution was because in doing so, it sent a message to everyone that that person was under the authority of the Roman people. And if they wanted him to die, he was going to die. If they wanted to change their minds and, it was going to, he could, and he could live, he would live. And Jesus uses this and says, if you really want to follow me, It's about taking up your cross. It's about saying, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And when we give in a financial sense, especially when it pains us or we don't necessarily know what the outcome might be, it effectively makes that statement, God, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I choose to put aside my own wants, my own desires, my own needs for your glory and to make Jesus known. And as a result, giving, therefore, breaks that hold of that sinful nature over us. Because at its core, sin is all about me, my wants, my needs, and my desires. And, you know, giving, it also advances God's kingdom here on earth. Let's be honest, many people here in this room have probably contributed at some point to the success of companies like Apple over the years by buying their products. Maybe you've even promoted their stuff. Apple wouldn't be the company they are today had people not bought into those ideas and promoted their products. And the reality is, we live in a world which runs on finance. And part of the joy of giving and being generous says, you know what? I'm going to live counterculturally. And instead of investing in those things which are going to rust, spoil, and fade, I'm going to invest what God has given me to make an eternal inheritance, an eternal difference. Think about it for a moment. There's this blessing for us as Christians that we get to invest here in the mission of God. God provides for his people, through his people, to reach other people. 
and in giving and being generous and choosing to live a life of generosity, we have a direct part to play in reaching the last, the least, and the lost in this world. Companies like Apple, they will eventually fade into insignificance. But in giving, we make an eternal investment to something which will never rust, spoil, and fade. Giving is part of our worship because it shows who we trust. Giving is part of our worship because it ascribes God the place of honor over every area of our lives, and in particular, the area of material possessions, that one area that so often we find it so hard to submit into. It's part of our worship because actually we submit ourselves to Christ's lordship, and it advances God's kingdom here on earth. And you know, church, like I said, this is not a message about trying to squeeze more money out of you, but Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 12 and verse 34, for wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. If you want an idea of what you worship today, look at where you spend your finances. And if we're going to be true worshippers of God. It's important that we grasp this concept of worshipping with our wealth, but even more important than that, it's important that giving doesn't just mean giving financially, but we learn to give our lives too. If you know anything from Scripture about the Apostle Paul, you will know that Paul was the one who wrote a significant part of the New Testament. Paul, though, was a man who literally, for a number of years, hated Christians. He would go out of his way to persecute them, he'd go out of his way to hurt them, and ultimately to kill them, until one day he met with Jesus for himself. He was actually going to a place that day called Damascus, where Jesus appeared to him on the way, and by the grace of God, that day, this man was transformed by Jesus. And instead of killing Christians, he gave his life to the service of Jesus that day. And these are words that he wrote in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he has done for you, offer yourself, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Paul is saying effectively, in view of everything that God has done for us, and Paul knew exactly what God had done for him, he was totally and utterly forgiven of his past. His slate was wiped clean. Everything that had gone on before had been forgiven. In view of all of that, Paul says, give everything, every aspect of your life, every aspect of yourself to God, not just your wealth, because actually, it might not feel it, but giving materially is relatively easy. You can set up a direct debit to give, and you don't even realize that the money is coming out of your account. But in view of God's mercy, give everything of yourself to him. And that means trusting in the Lord with all of your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, not being swayed by the things of this world, but living a life totally and utterly for Jesus. Friends, the biggest question that I can ask you today is simply this. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? 
Have you asked him to set you free? Have you asked him for forgiveness for all of the wrong things that you've ever thought, said and done, which the Bible calls sin? If the answer is no, my follow-up question to you this morning is what are you waiting for? The truth is, Jesus is the only one who can bring you fulfillment in your life. He is the only one who can make you whole and make you complete. Jesus is the only one who can give your life purpose. And today, he offers you the free gift of salvation. But although it is free, it will cost you everything. It will mean turning from your old life, your old ways of doing things, and saying, I am done with living like that, and from now on, I am choosing to live for you. Friends, worship is more than a song. It's a sacrifice. The wise men traveled an arduous 900-mile journey to worship at the cradle of a newborn king, and when they found him, they were overjoyed. And how did they express that joy? Through generosity, through giving. Because love always gives. And one of the best ways that we can place Jesus in that place of honor in our lives is by bringing our first and our best to him and trusting him with the rest. Today, church, my prayer for each and every one of us is that we will learn to trust him a little bit more. That we will lean on him a little bit more. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when we can't understand. For some here today, that might look like choosing for the first time to be generous with your wealth. It might mean being even more generous. My hope is that for some people, it mean today in this place, placing your trust in the Lord and Saviour for the first time. Let me tell you something, church. There is no better way to live. I don't know what God might be laying on your heart right now. And in a moment, I'm going to hand back over to Zoe, who's going to lead us in a response. But why don't I pray as Zoe comes up? And wait, why don't we stand if you're able? And maybe the band probably can come up at this point as well. Father God, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. Forgive us, Lord God, we pray, for the times we hoard, for the times where we say in our actions as well as our words, it's all about me. Today, Lord Jesus, we say it's all about you. And I want to pray for anyone specifically right now in this place who has never bowed the knee to King Jesus and asked him into their life. Lord, may this be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.